Close your eyes and imagine a serial killer. The worst of the worst. Now describe what you see. Probably you're imagining a man, and more specifically, a white male in his early middle age. Now, what if I were to tell you that the image in your mind, in most minds, is, as often as not, completely wrong? This is Crime Scene. I'm Jordan Fenster. Before we get started, a warning. The following story contains some graphic imagery. Discretion is advised. This episode is, I guess, something of a part two. Last time, I introduced you to... Vernon Gebert, G-E-B-E-R-T-H. ...who helped us understand the motivations of sexual psychopaths. In this episode, we'll look at our preconceived ideas about serial killers and why it's important to have none. When you talk about serial killers, we, we, we talk about them as if there's one type. But when you really look at um, the variety of serial killers, for example, those that kill family, those that kill employees and customers at, uh, at uh, retail stores, those that kill strangers on the streets, those that kill prostitutes, the, the methods... Um, and the victim types vary tremendously. That's... I'm Mike Amott, and I'm a uh, uh, retired professor from Radford University. I still work for a full-time for a consulting firm, but uh, um, my research on serial killing really was uh, as part of being a professor, and I still continue to do that, uh, even though I've retired from Radford. Amott has attempted to bring some order to chaos, to use the science of statistics to better understand serial murderers. Um, basically, what we tried to do is build um, a database to understand serial killers. Uh, when I first started teaching the uh, forensic psychology course about 25 years ago, one of the things that uh, I realized was we, we just didn't have good information. So over the years, what we tried to do is, um, is develop a database so that we can answer questions about serial murder. Now, before we go any further, I think we should define terms. What exactly is a serial killer? You know, that's a great question, because I think if you ask uh, 20 people who study serial homicide, you're probably going to get 20 different answers. But it used to be that um, serial murder was was uh, really defined as uh, three or more kills in three separate events. And sometimes people would add uh, something such as a cooling off period in between, but nobody can really define what that cooling off period uh, is. The uh, specialist in the FBI, the original definition was three or more, and I kept saying, no, it's two or more, two or more, two or more. Finally, in 2005, they had a serial murder symposium uh, down at Quantico, and they decided, yeah, you know, it's two, not three. Um, the FBI changed the official definition to be two or more in, in two separate events. And so if you're looking for, I guess, an official definition, using the FBI's is as good as any, but there are a lot of folks who, who disagree with that. Uh, you know, you have some who would have a minimum of five. I think probably if you, in general, most people would probably think of three. Um, but again, the FBI's is, uh, is two or more in two separate events. So by that definition, a serial killer might not fit the commonly imagined profile. I think if you go back um, 20 years, um, I think certainly the common description of a serial killer would have been a white male in their mid to late 20s. Um, but 
one of the things that we discovered through our research, and, and I think we were the first to, to notice this, but there, there may have been, been others, was that um, that profile wasn't accurate. Gebberth would agree. He's an author and a consulting criminologist, but before that, he was a lieutenant commander for the New York City Police Department. The serial killer, uh, they, they, they come in all sizes and shapes and forms. They, they, they could be white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Native American. They, they, they come from any ethnic grouping. In fact, that preconceived idea of what a serial killer looks like has helped some of them elude justice. These, these, these serial killers, um, for the most part, go undetected because the cases are missed by the authorities. Take, for example, the case of Patrick Baxter. On July 17, 1990, a Corvette was carjacked in Yonkers, New York, by a pair of men brandishing a shotgun. Just a short distance away and a few hours after, a young girl was brutally raped and murdered. Left arm extended over her face and eyes and her elbow pointing up. She was wearing a blue dress that was raised just below the buttock level and her pantyhose had been removed and turned inside out. These were located near her feet. The apparent cause of death was a single shotgun blast that entered through the back of the victim's head about midline and exited out through the right side of her face. The victim was apparently on her back with her head turned to her right when the shot was fired. Brain and skull fragments outlined the bullet exit path. A 12-gauge wadding was located along this path. Three days after that murder, Patrick Baxter and another man were arrested while driving that stolen Corvette. The charges were dropped because a witness had identified another man, and Baxter went free. It wasn't until the year 2000 that Baxter was linked by DNA to the 1990 murder of Lisa Gibbons, as well as two other murders, Patricia England in 1988 and 14-year-old Michelle Walker in 1987. Each had been raped, sodomized, and murdered. Baxter's name had come up in each investigation, but nobody made the connection for more than a decade. It's people being people. And black serial killers have traditionally been able to get away with, with these serial murders because of these profiles that, 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 that define them in, in, as, as male whites. So, for example, if you go back into the oh, 1910 through, let's say, 1940, right around 70% of the serial killers uh, were, uh, were white. Whereas if you look at um, two th the decades of 2000 and 2010, it's about 30%. Um, so African-Americans have always been overrepresented compared to their population numbers as serial killers, but it's really only been recently where um, people have started talking about that. Now, again, you need to understand that statistically, there's no difference between a serial killer who murders out of some psychopathic sexual drive and a mafia enforcer who kills at the behest of a mob boss or a gang member who kills because a gang leader says so. They would be overrepresented, again, compared to the, po to the population. Um, for example, if you look at the, the basic motives, for example, for, uh, uh, for serial murder, um, you'll find that there's very little difference between uh, whites and African Americans, for example, in a financial, a financial gain motive. Uh, whites are, are, it's more common in whites about, uh, for example, if, the, uh, if there's a sexual component to it. 
29% of white serial killers kill and also sexually assault uh, their victims versus 24% of African Americans. So a little bit of a difference, but not a, uh, not a huge difference. Let's stop for a second so I can bring one point home. Statistically, serial murderers are evenly distributed per capita across ethnic and racial groups, regardless of motive. There may be trends within certain racial subgroups. White killers are more likely to use poison than black murderers, for example. But, as a report from the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit says, quote, contrary to popular belief, serial killers span all racial groups. The racial diversification of serial killers generally mirrors that of the overall U.S. population, unquote. Okay, so why does all this matter? Our database, in terms of the results, again, have been that there are just so many different types of serial killers and so many different motives. And one of our goals is going to be, at some point, to really see if we can can break these down into, into these subtypes and try to see if there are, um, are differences. And perhaps that will allow us to, to maybe help law enforcement a, little, a bit more in terms, of, uh, in terms of predicting. So, for example, if you, if you concentrated on um, only uh, prostitutes, for example, who were, who were murdered, that may be able to give you a much different type of a profile than if you're looking at uh, all types of serial murder victims. Remember, traditional profilers have not had the benefit of a comprehensive database. Well, I think that the traditional profiler is really going to use more, um, not so much a database, but what they're going to do is look at their, the training they've received. They're going to look at uh, um, aspects of the crime scene. For, for example, they're going to use logic. Um, but they very seldom are going, to, are going to use a database where they're saying something such as, um, you know, the person was strangled, um, so there's a 62% chance the person is, you know, was white. Um, that's really not how the, the, uh, the profilers work. And this may be an important tool for homicide detectives of the near future. And so I think right now there's kind of a big disconnect between the people who do profiling and look at actual, actual data. And I think one of the, the things that we'll see in the, maybe in the next decade uh, is really, um, especially as, as all these data mining and, uh, and the greater statistical uh, uh, methods are, are, are available, you're going to maybe see the um, law enforcement use these statistical profiles a little, uh, more often. But to do that, you have to have the data um, and you, know how, you, have to, you have to be able to analyze the crime scenes consistent with, uh, with, with the way the uh, database is set up. And I think we're, we're a little bit away from that right now. If, for example, a detective could combine statistical data on serial murders with local demographic information, the pool of suspects might get much smaller very quickly. I'm saying, you know, knowledge is power in this business. And you got to do your homework. And when you don't do your homework, you look pretty dopey because you're not you're talking without without a base. You know, you need to have some sort of frame of reference. And, and I think if you um, look at um, most TV series, for example, or most mur or movies on serial uh, killers, they're, they're portrayed as white, and they're portrayed really as that um, kind of that uh, that sexual psychopath, as opposed to the other types of serial killers that. Uh, uh, that, that are out there. But the um, the fact that they get as much publicity as they do, 
uh, I don't know, I guess it puts them in a different status. Uh, one of the, the, the things we found interesting from, from our database is that um, serial killing is on the on the decline, which is uh, which is good good news. Uh, but but so is has murder and, and crime in uh, crime in general. But in the U.S., serial murder peaked in the 1980s. Uh, internationally, it peaked in the uh, 1990s, and there's been a uh, steady decline uh, since then. So uh, that's we've got some good news. Special thanks to both Colleen Wilson and Vernon Gebberth. This is Crime Scene. I'm Jordan Fenster. Thank you.